I want you to I want to direct your attention to the screen. <clears throat> and I want you to read that question with me. Ready? What's in it for me? Come on, let's do that again. What's in it for me? You know, the truth is today, that's the mantra. That's what everybody's looking for. What's in it for me? I think that it begins with our view of government. What's the government going to do for me? What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me today? And then I think that it leaves the government and it kind of uh, um, infringes on our community. It seems to then infest our homes. It seems to invade our lives. And ultimately it infects the church. Because you see, we have become so self-centered that that's the question that we begin with. Let me just give you a for instance with the church. <clears throat> Today, in America, as a general rule, when, when a believer goes looking for a new church home, they take out a sheet of paper and their pen, and they write down all the things that they want to find in a new church. They want to have small groups. They want to have music that they like. They may want to have men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, uh, student ministry, preschool. I mean, it goes down the line. And they make their list. And in defense of making that list is that they probably pray over it. Something like this. Lord, show us the perfect church so that we can have exactly what we want. Now, let me tell you a problem with that. What happens when you pray over that list? And let me just share this with you. Nothing I mentioned on that particular list, although they're all good, none of those will take you, none of those will take you or go to heaven in and of themselves. And so what happens is that then they pray through that list and they look through that list and they find the church that's their perfect church and they join it and they find that the very things that they wanted is, are not functioning quite like they wanted. So then they go shopping again. We call them church hoppers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I suggest to you that that type of thinking for a believer is very thin and very shallow. Additionally, today, because we have such a convergence of belief systems, you can call them religions, when people go shopping for their religion, their, their belief system, generally they try to go and find something that pleases them, Jamie. And you know what? Today we have religions that target people. We have religions that are, that are sucking up men by the dozens. We have religions that are appealing to women by the dozens, churches we have um, that are appealing to children. I mean, we can go right down the list. Because you see, if we go look for a belief system that pleases us, that only has the concept of what's in it for me, we basically have a man-made, self-made belief system that will not ever take us to heaven. I want to submit to you this morning that if we're going to ask the question, what's in it for me, we need to have a biblical perspective on the question. Today we continue our series in James. If you'll turn to James, the first chapter, verse 12. I want to take one verse. 
this morning. That is, I think, a summary of the first 11 verses in James. And I want to answer this question from a biblical perspective as to what is, should be in it and what is in it for us if we commit our lives to Him. Now remember, when we commit our lives to Him, we never volunteer for anything ever again. This week we had VBS. We had non-paid workers, were non-compensated with money, workers all over this building. And they did a phenomenal job. But they were not volunteers. A volunteer sets his own schedule. We are servants. We're slaves. We're at the behest of our king. I'm not going to ask you to stand because some of you take so long to stand, we'll be through reading the verse before you get up, okay? Verse 12, it says this. Blessed is a man who endures trials because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he, notice the change, it's a capital H, that's God, that he has promised to those who love, again, capital H, him. Let's pray together. Father, it's my prayer today that you'll take your word and that you will so impact our hearts with it that our lives and our thought processes and our directions will be changed. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to give us the truth in your word. And we pray that we, as we embrace it today that your Holy Spirit will do the divine work of working in our hearts and lives that we can become the people you want us to be. And we can look forward to the right things because we know that what you have in store for us, eyes have not seen nor ears have heard in your name amen when i look at this verse and i consider that question what's in it for me i want to share with you four thoughts flip over the back of your bulletin you can keep score write it down study it if you have questions call me the first thing i see here is your call your call to life you know now god gives us a a number of calls in this life but he gives us a call to life he gives us a call to come to Him for salvation. He gives us a call to give Him our lives. He gives us a call to recognize that we're sinners, to recognize that none are righteous, to recognize that the wages of our sin is death, and that only through Jesus the gift of God is eternal life. He also calls us not just to salvation. He calls us to service. He calls us to sanctification. And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. But I want you to see the call here in verse 12. It says in the first words of verse 12, Blessed is a man. Blessed is a man. Now that's what the Holman Christian Standard says. Most translations say blessed is the man. Now that's good. That's even better. But I think the New Revised Standard Version really has the spirit of what James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to teach us when it says... Blessed is anyone. You see, God wants you to be blessed today. He wants you to find blessing in life. I mean, think about it. That blessing in life is from the hand of God. Now, some translations translate this happy. Happy is the man. Actually, there are more paraphrases and transliterations. But for me, 
Happiness is a little bit thin from what the word really means. However, that word happy really resonates with the 21st century American heart. Everybody's looking for happiness. We spend billions and billions of dollars every year searching for happiness. If I can go one more place, I'll find happiness. I mean, money won't buy you happiness, but it will carry you a lot of places looking for it. Y'all got what I'm telling you? And you know what? When we depend on our money to take us places to buy our happiness, what we find is we find that we go the wrong places, we look for the wrong things, and we waste all our resources. And yet God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be blessed and happy. Do you think for a second that God designed you to make you miserable and bored? I mean, go back to the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus began his public ministry, how did he begin that first message? Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Now, did you get the end part of that? Those who mourn, those who are meek, and the, and the poor in heart? Watch this. When you have the attitude that Jesus calls us to have, here's what happens. You'll be comforted, and you will inherit both the earth and heaven when you come to him. His call to life is to be blessed. It's not to be an old crotchety, old, mean-spirited, broken-down person. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. And he has gone to extraordinary lengths in the death of his son, Jesus. To make you blessed. Now hang on. Because it's a choice. He begins by saying. You're called to life is to be blessed. And then he moves. To the circumstances of your life. Your circumstances of your life. The circumstances that you find in life. Well what circumstances are you talking about? Watch what he says. Now you're not going to like some of this. But that's okay. It's not, I'm just a delivery boy. Blessed is a man who endures, say that word, trials. Our call, the circumstances of our life are going to be trials and troubles and tribulation and test. It's not a matter of if those trials come, it is a matter of when those trials come. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. That the people who really get angry very quickly, the people who really get out of sorts, get decimated by their trials, are people who will never say this, but if you watch them, they expect the world to kind of revolve around them. They don't expect any trials and troubles. You know, if you're looking for something that go bad when it, come, when it ha happens to go bad, when the trials come... Then you're not taken by surprise. Then you're not taken by storm. And then you're ready to handle it. It's kind of like getting married. I mean, how many young couples do, you, do I talk to, Brother Terry, when I'm getting ready to marry them? And they think marriage is going to be all peaches and cream. And when the first trouble comes along, they want to take those peaches and throw at each other. And they want to take the cream, turn it to spoiled milk, and pour it over each other. Because they had no idea that troubles were going to come. Please listen to your pastor. Troubles are coming your way. And in marriage, just like in life, 
When trials and troubles come your way, you have three choices. First of all, you can get out. In marriage, people are divorcing. In this day of spousal abuse, they're killing their mates. And in this day when depression runs so rampant, you're even finding them committing suicide. There are a lot of ways to get out of marriage. And you can get out if you want out of your troubles. There's a way to try to run from it. You can either get out. If I stay on that principle of marriage, you can tough it out. Just grin and bear it. Just grin and bear it. And you know what happens if you just grin and bear it? I mean, you can tell those couples that have just kind of toughed it out through the years. They walk with a scowl on their face. It's hard to say something kind to each other. That's toughed it out. I don't like him, but he's the best I can do, and I'm just going to stay with it. I don't like her. She doesn't treat me right, but I'm just going to, you know. But that's not God's way. The third way is to work it out. It's to see those trials, see those troubles, see those tribulations, those struggles for what they are. Because, listen, trials and troubles and tribulations that you encounter did not surprise God. And what you think is terrible may really be terrific because it may be something God has put in your life to take you to a place like you have never, ever imagined. And there's no way to get there except through those circumstances. F and, and you know, when, when we're in trouble, let me just be honest. You look back in verse 2, and a lot of times, I am. Gl- first of all, I'm glad to know that James was inspired of the Holy Spirit because when he wrote verse 2, I would have considered him being drunk if he hadn't been under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here that finds it easy to count it joy, pure joy, great joy, when trials come into your life? Ha! If you say you do, we want to get you up here to preach because you're more perfect than your preacher, okay? It's tough. In fact, I think it's impossible. But how long does it take you to look and see that, to to see that that struggle, that trial, that circumstance comes into your life is a gift from God because He's trying to mold you and shape you into what He wants you to be. He is not worried about your comfort, nor is He worried about your convenience. He is worried about your maturity and your, and your place on the journey. And do you know that when we react so violently to the trials that come into our life, it is a form of unbelief? We don't believe that God's still in control. We don't believe that God knows what's going on. We don't even believe that God knows we're in the world sometimes with those struggles. F.B. Meyer said it this way. He said, unbelief puts circumstances between God and us. And faith puts God between us and our circumstances. You see, those circumstances are when we endure trials. Blessed is a man who endures trials. Now, look at this next part as we stay with that circumstances, is that because when he passes the test, whoa, this is a test? Beep. 
This is the test of the emergency broadcasting system. Y'all with me? You know what? We take tests all the time to see if we pass or fail. Our students take, time, take tests in high school and college to see if they've passed or failed the subject. I remember uh, in 1979, January of 1979, I sat for the license of the FCC Commission. It was a Class C license. It was a, um, it was a uh, um, radio license with a broadcast endorsement. <laughs> to tell you how old I am, that license no longer exists. But you had to study hard. I studied Section 1 and 9, and I passed it. And when I walked out of there, I was approved by the FCC that I could sit at the radio station and be a disc jockey. You see, when we pass tests, we become approved. That's what it says in another place, in another translation. When you are approved, those tests and trials and tribulations and struggles, whatever you're encountering right now, again, did not surprise God. And he, and he has put it there that you can become approved to him. Now, what's in it for you? How does it sound to be approved by God? Whew, I kind of like that. But there is a linchpin here in this verse that pulls it all together. And you find it at the end of the verse. Blessed is a man who endures trials because when he passes the test, he'll receive the crown of life that he has promised, here it is, to those that love him. This is your commitment, your commitment for your life. To those that love him, that, as James is speaking to the believers, those folks who have already professed Christ, and he said those who love him... It is an active love. It is a demonstrated love. On the front of our bulletins today, Wanda very rightly put, love God and live like you love God. It's action, and we'll get into that in a couple of weeks right here in the James text. You see, this commitment for life is the very linchpin of it all. The way that we can commit ourselves to Him. The very first way that we can demonstrate our love to Him is when He reaches in our heart and He stirs us. And He tells us, unbeknownst to the person sitting beside us, unbeknownst to our, to our parents or our pastor or our teachers, just like old Randy over here, when He speaks to your heart and He says, Look, you know you're a sinner. And you know that sin cannot be in my presence. And you understand that the wages of sin is death. And what I want you to do is I want you to come to me and allow me to cleanse you, forgive you, and put your feet on the right path. And it is a commitment. You will never know what all is in it for you that God has given you until you commit. It requires a Commitment. I was reading this week as I was thinking about trying to illustrate commitment. Most of us know the name Luciano Pavarotti, this great tenor. His, his words are these, that his, he, was, he was introduced to singing by his dad, who was a baker. 
by his dad, who was a baker. And so in the town there in Italy, he, he began studying singing with a, a great tenor called Arrigo Pelo. But also at the same time, he enrolled in the teacher's college so he could teach. When he graduated from college, he went to his dad. He said, now, Dad, what do I do? Am I going to sing or am I going to teach? And his wise dad said this. said, son, you try to sit down in two chairs. You're not going to sit in either of them. You're going to fall between them. That reminds a picture of, of what Christ said when he said, no man can serve two masters. He'll love or he'll hate. Pavarotti tells a story that I chose singing. Now, you think, well, he chose right, and it was easy. No. It was seven years before he appeared the first time as a tenor. It was seven more years, a total of 14 years, before he appeared on the Metropolitan Opera. And Pavarotti says these words. It doesn't matter whether it's bricklaying or ditch digging. Commitment is the key. What I say to you, if you really want to find out what's in, what God has in store for you, if you want to know what's really in it for you, as good as the music ministry or the men's ministry or the children's ministry or the student ministry or anything else, maybe. If you really want to find out what's in it for you, commit your life to Him. And when you approach those decisions, let Him lead you. And that you be faithful to Him. That when you come to worship, that you focus on Him. That when you go into Bible study, you focus on Him. That He is the center of who you are. So now have you seen how James kind of weaves this together? When you think about what's in it for me, he says, man, here it is. Your call is to be blessed. Now you're going to be blessed. You don't like it, but you're going to be blessed because God loves you enough to send trials and struggles and tribulations to take off the rough edges and to make you into the person that He wants you to be. And He will only do that for those who love Him, for those who have committed to Him, for those who invited Him into their lives, for those who are faithful to Him. And then you see the words here that is the ultimate of what's in it for you. Because he will receive the crown of life. Your crown of life. Now, I like that. I like getting the crown. In fact, the only time I have not liked getting the crown is my mom used to tell me, boy, you do that again, I'll crown you. I didn't really like that crown. In the Bible, there are basically three types of crowns, and it's important for us to see these. First of all, there, are the, there is the high priest or the Hebrew religious leader crown. It was inlaid with gold. It had holy as the Lord somewhere embellished on it. It was a symbol that that, that that priest had been consecrated to be the people's representative for God. It was a beautiful crown. The second crown is the crown worn by pagans. You can find that in Samuel, by pagan kings. The third crown is literally made of flowers. You've probably seen a picture of it, a little wreath of flowers that was placed on your head. 
It was bestowed because of some kind of military honor or athletic winner. It's one that you earned. Now, folks, we don't earn our salvation. It's by faith. It was paid for on Calvary's cross. And we gain our salvation by putting our trust in Him. Oh, but once we put our trust in Him, the journey begins. And we earn our crowns in heaven. Look, you reread this. Crown of life is mentioned only twice in the, in the Bible. It's mentioned here. I'm going to read it again for you, and then I'm going to show you the other place. Blessed is a man who endures trials because when he passes the test or when he is approved, he will receive the crown of life that, he, he, that God has promised to those who love him. The other place it's mentioned is in Revelation chapter 2. In Jesus' word to Sardis. He said, excuse me, to the church of Smyrna. He said, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last, that's Jesus, the one who was dead and came to life, Jesus says, I know your, your tribulations and poverty, that you are rich. There is your troubles that's coming in your life. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Still troubles. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Don't forget, I know what's going on. Look, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison to test you. God's permission. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Now, here it comes. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That commitment you made, if you want to know what it's in it for you, you have to be faithful unto death. Now today, some of us had trouble being faithful until dark, let alone death. And yet if we want the best that God has for us, if we want to receive that lay of flowers placed on our head and a well done, we are faithful until You know, we're kind of like this. Now, don't anybody pass out. Does everybody know what that is? It's a clean sock. It's a clean sock. You know, our lives are kind of like that sock. We are really nothing on our own. And we have to have somebody in here moving us. It can be your foot, it can be your hand, in the matter of the sock. But for us, we either have ourselves controlling us. And if we have ourselves controlling us, that means Satan is controlling us. Isn't it something that self and Satan starts with the same S? Or we can have God controlling us. When we commit our lives to him, he comes in for the purpose of controlling us the rest of our lives. He's like the master puppeteer. He'll send his Holy Spirit who will reside in you. Whatever he needs you to do, if you'll commit to him, he'll direct you. 
perhaps today we're asking the wrong question. Perhaps instead of asking what's in it for me, perhaps we should be asking what's in me for it. Let's pray together.